Welcome to another episode of Fire's Fire. We're happy that you can join us. I'm joined by my co-hosts, the talented RJ Ellis and uh, Dr. Brian Paul. What's up, everybody? And today we have a, a super special episode, another great episode. Um, I got to meet George in Palm Springs. I met him through Sam and Julian at the Dab Logic booth, and he had some absolute fire in his jar. And uh, I'm I'm so excited to come on. We're going to be talking LA Family Farms. We're going to be talking history. We're going to be talking the current culture, and we're going to be talking hash and going down the rabbit hole. So, without further ado, please welcome George. Hey, what up? Thanks for having me, guys. No, brother. Thanks for joining us, George. I mean, uh, you know, you've been, you've been, I think, setting some trends recently, especially as far as terps go. And uh, yeah, we got lots to talk about. I'm so excited to hear about some of the tech stuff, but I'm going to let Jameson guide us through some of your history. But uh, I, I, yeah, you know, every time you opened your mouth last night when we were just chilling, I was like, fuck, this guy knows shit that I need to learn badly. Oh, damn. Hell yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. Absolutely. So, George, you have accomplished something that very few people have been able to accomplish where you're actually running uh, a farm with your family, a, a licensed facility in LA under LA Family Farms. Like, congratulations for that. I know that was a long, you know, arduous road. And I think that all of us in the industry kind of start out with that goal and not all of us can, can make that happen. So I, I think that's very cool. And, and before we get into LA Family Farms and, and everything that you guys are all about, we like to start off the show going into the history of, of the people behind the brands and, and what made what made them. And, and so I think what I want to know is how did this all start for you, you know, growing up in, in L.A. And, and where did your where did your love for cannabis begin? Yeah, well, uh, you want to take it back. I mean, I I I moved to Los Angeles when I was 18. Uh, but my love for weed came when I was in high school, smoking weed, rolling uh, joints and selling for five bucks. That was always the gig. You would buy weed to su supply your own high, right? You didn't want it. It got too expensive even back then. So that's something that always been in me, you know, buy more weed. It kept me focused. I have ADD like a mo. So it actually helped me focus. It helped me get through school. It kept me in class. It helped me to be the president of the, my class every year, wrestling and sports very active um and believe it or not weed was what helped me do all of that so what, workouts what was, your, what was your first experience with cannabis like uh, my first experience when i was i want to say 12 years old and my oldest cousin uh david is his name uh he's a big part of uh introducing me into the weed he showed me a lot about the game about hey look this stuff this is what it does uh introduce it as it's better than alcohol and it has been and it still is um, and from that point, we were just smoking Mexican dirt brick wheat, you know, and we would, uh, put oranges or whatever we could in it just to make it turp it up with some citrus terps. Back then we weren't talking terps, but we knew that we liked the smell. You know, we didn't call it terps. We we're just like, yeah, this is the lemon limon. You know, we threw some more in the lemon lime and, you know, it rinds in there, but we had to do with what Did you we ever do the flavored bong water? No. <laughs> what, oh, put like, put like Kool-Aid and pull rips. Okay. Yeah. 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 The Kool-Aid and pull rips. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, you know, uh, I, when I came out to Cali, when I was 18 is when I learned what real weed was about, uh, what Kush 
was about what uh Dave and 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 back then it uh when I first got out here, I remember we used to buy a pound of weed for two hundred and fifty bucks of a dirty ass brick, you know, just compressed. That's why we'd have to break it up and get the seeds out and try to dress it up with some smells, put tortilla in there to make it rehydrate, all kinds of tricks and things that we had to go through to make the weed better back then. Um so uh once I got to Cali. You know, my first time I wanted to go buy 20 bucks worth of weed, I, I could have swore I was getting ripped off when he came back with a little tiny fucking dime bag, like a little $5 sack. And I was like, dude, where, where's my quarter? You know, a quarter, like you come back with this little thing, like for real. And then he, and then we smoked it and it was a whole nother level, bro. It, when we opened the bag, when, you know, cause we were in the alley, got the little thing, dude, we take Fuck, dude, we just got ripped off, bro. And then we get to our spot when we get the light on it, and we're just like, "What is this? We, we've never pure fire." Seen, yeah, we've never seen wheat that that's fluffy and has all these little shiny things on it, and it's sticky when you squish it. It, it sticks, and then when you smoke it, you get fucking blown out of this world. And that's what turned me on to to Kush, and uh, it was it, it got expensive. Um, so that so was, was Kush the thing that got you into searching for like the most fire weed you could get. It was all back to Kush. It, that was that we just called it, you know, the Kush. We didn't, we didn't have strange names. It was just, you know, dank or this fire or skunk, uh, the purple. I remember when the purple, we called just the purple Urkel, you know, uh, it was funny how we call it the, the, the purple, we call it the purple people eater. Yeah, that's right. We call it the purple people eater. We're just make up names because our homies grew it and we weren't really hip with names. You just called it what it looked like. And then uh, the OG scene started picking up when uh, what Dr. Green Thumb, they started the rap scene, started getting into the weed. The OG got heavy weed growing the same OG cuts. So we got in the loop of that circle of sharing those genetics. Um, that, that once the OG hit, we want to go back into the 96, 97, you know, era that time. And, uh, that's when OG was rare still. And, and, and at that time it was being grown by a very, uh, tight circle of friends and, and passed around and shared. And, and as, as time went on, uh, OG got more popular, mostly because of the hip hop community. They had a huge part of, of bringing the culture to the weed you know i mean we've always been undercover you know always you know saying we did a different job we were always carpenters or uh plumbers or that's what we are you know we're carpenters and plumbers and ac technicians that's what we do all day <laughs> you know in a facility so uh you know growing up we were very low-key about you know that's why my name george green thumb all these different names that we use to protect our our identities and our and our family on you know good stuff like that um so out in cali just you know the 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 goal was to get as much fire into our lungs and in hell fuck let's make some money at it while we're at it you know um and that same drive to it's never ending like to this day we know we can do better than what we just did it we will never think that we all right we made it we're done let's just we're just pack it up we're good it doesn't work like that. It, it's like we're constantly analyzing what we did. We're going to try something new and damn, that didn't work. So let's go back to what we did. And then when you're in cultivation, you only get like five or six shots a year, you know, when you're, when you're rotating rooms, you know, so 
it's a long, slow process. So we've always tried to collect as much data during that process and, and try to mull things at the time instead of making these big changes and not knowing what really was working and what wasn't working. Um, we were used to having our body in the grow room every day. You know, your body is, is probably the best, uh, ecosystem thermometer, hygrometer, whatever you want to call it. You know, um, once you get used to that room and in that environment, you can walk in and you can be like, yo, this corner right here, it ain't right. There's something about it. There, there's either a fan out, a blower out, you know, something's popping on this corner. They right. You know, um, those are the important things that we were always just with the plants, might dissecting them. You know, that's why I'm into the data collection. You know, we're always, even now to this day, uh, at our facility, uh, Mo Morris, who's, who's the main head, the uh, uh, cultivator there, he's all over the data, you know, and that's what makes us, I believe that's what the part ever satisfied with our work. We're always like, what got us that? And how can we continue to get that? And how can we get better at the same time? It's that approach, you know what I mean? Like that, the deep delve into the analytics that absolutely does set you different. Cause you know what I mean? It's not just, I feel this or my personal opinions that it's like numbers don't lie. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, it depends on the lens you look at them through. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what your goals are and what you're trying to achieve. Uh, we have, we all share a, a, a similar palette for taste and smoke and smells and look. So as phenol hunt and go through certain things we share it amongst our crew and our groups we take their input very seriously um and we feel with our crew and the people that we associate with we have a good consensus of what we think uh top quality you know like bud should look like and taste like and smoke like so that's a big part it's not just you know two or three people saying oh yeah this is good weed no it, it takes a minute before we, we we bring something and drop it and say this is us yeah. Now, are, so, you, yeah. are you creating like a master log or are you kind of doing auto data collection with like, I know there's some like grow systems that will record temperature, light, humidity, and all that and graph it on a chart. And then like, you can always scroll back or are you just like taking readings every day, logging it, and then kind of looking at how did it come out? How can we modify? Great question. Both. You have to do both. Your data logging on your computer systems has failed us more than we have ever expected it to. You log in and you just got blank page. Oh shit. So it's good when it works and it's terrible when it doesn't. So you still need to use your body, your own little, we got little sensors, just generic brand thermometers, things like that. Cause you need to know when you, you know, when you're not there, at least you can walk in and see what the real one is in this particular corner versus that corner versus that, you know, ceiling area. Well, it gets airflow, but in front of the, the return or the one in front of the blower, there's all kinds of variables that change those things. And if something goes out or something gets in the way, blocks this, does that, it changes the way things uh, flow in that room. So we've basically learned from the past that we cannot rely on the technical data because we've shown up and it's not been there. That's interesting because it's like, it seems like, you know, being sold, at least on the industry level, Jameson, you'll know better than me, that that's the next evolution in like lighting and grow room technology. It's, you know, not necessarily automation, but auto tracking. And it's, um, it's somewhat refreshing to hear you say what you said, because I think in any industry, you can't just rely on the computer to do it yourself. You need to have, you know, checks and, and double checks and have a human there, no matter how automated. The, the thing about the computer systems that make it, uh, that that's ch makes it challenging for that type of data is that 
how many sensors are you plugged in? You got, I don't know, 800 plants in a room and you've only got four plugs. Those four plants may be doing really well or not so well, you know? What about the other 700 and some plants that, that all have their own unique personalities and, you know, don't want to be left out and can act up when, just like a, a room of children, you know what I mean? It's like, these are living things and beings that sometimes don't like being in the middle of the row. Sometimes they prefer to be on the corner and each plant is different. And so when we actually lay the rooms out, we try to lay them out in certain configurations based on how we've seen plants react. So we have certain, certain plants that we see characteristics. Those are corner plants. Certain other characteristics, those are center row plants. The other characteristics, they're going to go down the side rows. You know, so as you learn to cultivate and control your growth and canopy and how you lay things out will also affect your environmental controls because you got airflow issues, you got light coverage issues, all those other things that are environmental controls. And those are the things that the computer doesn't tell you because those are the things that your eyes and your, your skin, when you walk in and you see and you feel yo, this room is really cold here. It's a pocket of cold air or it's a hot air or, you know, all those little things that the, there's no plug for that. You know, there's no sensor for that. I mean, you have three or four in your room, but they're way over there. You know, what about this spot? You know, so there's, it's important to have the physical uh, connection. Um, I think if you, we just leave it to the computer, we're going to lose a lot at that rate. You're going to lose the connection to the plant because the plant teaches us. We just follow what she tells us and try to decipher the language that she's speaking. And we're just like hieroglyphics trying to make sense of how, what she's trying to tell us. And let's make her happy. And we know what she looks like when she's happy because she puts out really, really nice and she performs really well. But if you make her unhappy, she'll let you know real quick. And so it's difficult for me to take away the human contact part um, because when you start understanding a plant like that, you start saying, damn, people are actually like that, but more complex. Right. And you start seeing people and understanding relationships in a different way. And you're like, everybody needs to be nurtured. And then when you have children, you start realizing your first, your second, and your third, you have to give the proper love and attention to each one of them. You can't just favor one because for whatever reason, they're better looking, you know? Um, so that's also a, a part of the growing that why we're so in love with what we do, you know? Um, George, when did that love fair start? When was your, when did you grow your first plant? Better question. I guess you could say one of the, one of my, my first attempt, yeah. um, it was in a computer PC box. Remember those old school computer PCs? Yeah. And it, it was sold as the stealth growth. I had a buddy that did that 12, 14 years ago. Okay. They're in the red top. <laughs> and, uh, it was one of those big old towers and they had two little freaking, uh, hydrogen ball nets, you know? And I think I killed like maybe 20 fucking trees and I never got anything. I just killed plants, killed plants, killed plants, killed plants. Yeah. So that was like my first attempt. And then I realized grow tiny thing with that big ass, uh, metal highlight light in that little box. Uh, that was my first attempt, you know, other than, you know, throwing seeds on the ground and be like, oh shit, you see that right there? Look at that. But you know, that was just by luck and chance. Or was it trial and error 
as you would work through it? Or did you have an older brother or some mentor that guided you on that cultivation journey? Yeah, this is all pre-YouTube. So, dude, uh, Todd McCormick was a huge inspiration. Um, I moved out here the same uh, year that he, his pot palace in Bel Air got raided. Um, he was a big part of the OG, uh, community and getting, you know, getting that out. Um, so he was a big inspiration, even though he did serve some time, even today, now that he's back, the guy's got invaluable vault of information in his head. Um, he's got so much to, to give us. So he was like one of my biggest, um, second, I want to say the, uh, the, the growers Bible by Jorge Cervantes. Um, one of the reasons of my name being George is because of Jorge Cervantes, because his real name is George. Um, it's like Ben something, it's a whole different name. But anyway, um, because of his book and his Bible, that had a big connection to why I chose the name George. It was kind of like a, a, my connection and, and thank you back to that, that guy. Uh, and then the green thumb comes from one, it's the weed, and I, I tend to be that, but it also kind of contributes in my love for Dr. Green Thumb. They were a huge part of where our industry in cannabis. So those two, those, those are like, uh, be real, uh, big inspiration on how he markets and, and, and how huge part of our industry, just that song that he created and had the balls to fucking go out on tour and sing that shit in public without, you know, getting arrested. And I'm sure they, they went through some, um, so that right there, you know, was big. So those were probably uh, my big, and then Ed, Ed Rosenthal back during that time. Um, these were the guys that you would have stuff, you know, uh, accessible to read in books. And that's all we had. We didn't really have the internet back then. It was hardback, you know, the little softback books. I, re I remember going to uh, Oaksterdam University back in the day just to learn more, as much information as I could back, you know. But they're doing a course. I want to go check it out. You know, so I learned a little bit more about that. That's what got me into the science. I remember I got to meet Eddie Lepp uh, at that event. This was be this is when he was getting ready to go in to serve his time. This was right when he, he you know, the, the 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 court case was just finished. They said guilty, and he was getting ready to. That was basically his last time speaking to the group. Uh, but he shared a lot of wealth of knowledge in, in in what he was going through, and and he said, you know, we got to push on. You know, that was the key. So. A lot of those people were big inspiration and, and just my love for what it's done for me and how it's kept me focused, how it's kept me uh, wanting to do better and, 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 and finish things. It, it's almost, it is complete opposite of what the stereotypical stoner uh, thing it, it, that, that most people hear about. 100%, 100%. I mean, I think that a lot of us get painted with a brush that was, you know, reefer madness and and shaggy from scooby-doo and you know a whole bunch of stereotypes rolled into one and like all my friends are hustling like i look at all my circle and they're moving and so you know passion the morning helps i don't know like it makes for a happy day <laughs> like, Ad like, Ad like addison was saying turpova he's like i gotta wake up early to start smoking hash so i can uh smoke hash all day it's right <laughs> You warm the shower up while you take your rips every morning. That's the way to get in the shower. You know what I mean? The water's coming out cold. Fucking take a dab, get in the shower. It's hot and ready. And you're fucking going to have a great day. <laughs> you're both hot and ready. So I wanted to ask you, George, about your first 
concentrate experiences. You know, tell us a little bit about, you know, what was it and what were you smoking off? Was it, was it, was it honey oil or, or what were your first experiences with cannabis concentrates and, and what kind of led you up to, to where you're at today? Yes, that's a good question. Um, I first was learning about concentrates through BHO. I want to say when, when butane hash oil got really popular, um, it just took our industry by storm. It was the, uh, turn your trash into cash era. That's what we as growers saw it as but trim was trash. And then somebody's like, yo, we could fucking take this trim and put in these tubes and blast it outside and, you know, put some fans on it and let put it in the sun. Do this cool ass shatter and BHO, you know, so what you got there. Some uh, Canadian Vance band GMO. Nice. That's the, I mean, that's I, the, three, that's the 149. Yeah, we're good. Time to take some dabs. There you go. I'll let you go. Um, so yeah, that was my first experience into uh, knowledge of it. But being that I knew what it was made from, I never got into it. Like I wasn't a shatter dabber. I wasn't a, a, a shatter dude. I actually started making traditional hash. And during that era, I could not sell a gram of that shit. Nobody wanted my traditional dark, you know, dark black hash to them. You know, oh, that's ugly. How were you making that? Walk us through like your first couple of times. What did that? Oh, like? dude. It was, uh, Frenchy Cannoli was my, my, my mentor for that. And, uh, it was basically go buy some ice at your store, get yourself a little washing machine, go out in the backyard and, and have a good time. Smoke some bongs, throw some weed in there, spin it up, seed it, dry it out for a couple of weeks and fucking smoke it, you know? And, and that's what we did for the longest time, not realizing how terrible of hash we were making. <laughs> But it was good enough. We would rather smoke that terrible hash than the BHO product because we know at the time, it, it, and looking back now, even more so, it most likely was not purged properly. You know what I mean? You look back, and definitely, I know. Definitely not purged properly. And definitely canned gas that was not filtered and not distilled and not refined. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And not to mention... All the pesticides that fuckers, excuse me, they would, they would, they would spray all the time. You know, that stuff is, is, is what you're concentrated. Now you just concentrated those pesticides. And I know for a fact that literally was, deadly shit. Yes. It, it, and it was more deadly now than I know than what I thought back then. I just knew it, something ain't right about it. But now looking back, I say, thank goodness. Cause that, that's terrible back then. Um, it wasn't until I saw Colorado. Uh, oh, um, what's his name? He's very popular. I can't even remember. I forgot his name for sure. Uh, he's o Olio. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rosin Ryan. Yeah. Uh, he opened up my eyes to hash rosin. Uh, he was the first one that like got me like, what, what's he doing over there? You know? Um, and that's when I started realizing flower, like why? You know, we get so much for our flour. Why would we consider doing that to our flour? You know, the market wasn't, wasn't here yet for it. And it never made sense for a long time. Did you and, skip right over the flour rosin days? Like, did you uh, not do any, any flour rosin days? No. Oh, damn. You didn't, you didn't have to experience that terribleness. 
uh, I did play with it, but we never took it to market. I used to do the sessions and sell stuff at the sessions and things, um, but I never took our flower rosin to the market. It just, it, it, was, it was hard to deal with. It was sticky. It wasn't easy to package and it wasn't pretty. Yeah, it burns so, not clean. And it was not comparative to anything out there. Um, and it, so we just, I didn't, I didn't last very long pressing flour. It, it, it didn't go well with me and in, in the press that I was using at that time. Did you, and what was your first press? Were you, uh, were you using the, the hair straightener on your, on your bubble hash or did you like, you realize, oh shit, I need to, I need to ball out. We're getting the big boys. We're getting the 20 ton. We played around. I wouldn't say I used it for like a regular, like on the hair things. We played around like, oh, get the hair press, give it a shot. But it wasn't something we implemented as a, let's use it every day. So yeah, we played with that before. But my first uh, press was a CRD ink, 20 ton press, weighed like 300 pounds. Uh, the plates, I think, were 10 inches by four inches, I believe, 10 by four. The thing was literally, I want to say almost three feet tall, two and a half feet tall, something like that. Um, and it, and it's, and it swiveled. So it had that drip tech and, uh, this thing is, is like a boat anchor. <laughs> That's heavy. It is. Um, I, I still have it. It's still part of my collection. Um, I haven't used it in a long time. Uh, it, I do use it for other uh, purposes. You know what I mean? I still try to use my presses. I don't only use my press just to press rosin. There's big, there are heating plates, there are closers, there are clamps. There's all kinds of good things you can use your presses for, depending on how wide it can open, how big it is. So, yeah, that was my first press. So who were, who, talk about your, your scale up from, from hearing about hash rosin from Ross and Ryan to really getting into it. Was that sort of a, was that a self-discovery searching on your own or, or did you have other uh, mentors or influences there as, as you learned? I want to say that he was my biggest influencer of, of that. Cause I knew nobody else that was doing that. I didn't have anybody to go and say, Hey, how do you do that? Um, so I was just looking at pictures and trying to figure out how do they do that? <laughs> you know, still to this day, I look at people's pictures and say, how do they do that? Um, you know, that's the beauty. It's like, it's never ending, you know? Um, so yeah, I just saw it and I just kept trying and kept trying. And, uh, I was only messing with dry cured material at this time though. I didn't, I still didn't play with fresh frozen. We, we are the ticket we were getting on our fresh frozen, uh, I'm sorry, on our flower was ridiculous compared to what you would get for the rosin maybe because we didn't know or we didn't know how we didn't have a market for it so it was like nah nah let's play with our trim you know so with that being said were you watching the market and waiting to for the 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 market to catch up on the on the rec side to enter that or were you getting ready and 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 just Go trying to lead the market into it. We were still in the, in the traditional market in the trending market. And we've always had our ear close to where what's hot, where, where people are wanting and kind of that thing. I, we saw that the fresh frozen market was starting to get popular in Colorado. 
and California was still behind. They still weren't there yet. They were still, there were this. I want to go back to what? 2010, 2011, 12, somewhere around there. I want to guess. I'm just trying to track back on time. Yeah. Um, and at that time, at that time, uh, that's we i still couldn't we like i was saying we couldn't figure out how to it didn't make sense for us to use our flower but the trim so this is what caused me to start trying to make a better quality hash using the trim this is where the backwash technique was created this is where i originally started up with the backwash tech um I would practice with different types of techniques constantly every night. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't until I want to say 2015, uh, when I actually stopped growing weed in my garage and built a freezer and made a hash house in my garage. Um, so I, and, and that was my new thing. And once I did that, I was like, dude, this is the best bro. I can fucking turn out strain after strain after strain. Like I don't have to wait a whole, you know, 60 some days and then dry. And like, I just get the end process. I just, today we're going to do Christmas. Tomorrow we're going to make ice cream cake. Yeah. Tomorrow we're going to make Kush cake, you know, mix that shit. <laughs> um, so we got air dry at that time in 20. Uh, uh, before when I was, uh, when I was making the traditional hash, it was air dry. But yeah. once I got the ice box, the, yeah. the, into the, into the garage, we bought a freeze dryer because I saw that they were using freeze dryers and I'm aha, that's how they're preserving it and not letting heat get to it to keep that color because it's the drying process that would decarboxylate the hash because you'd have to keep it at, you know, room temps, warmer temps in the open. They're out two weeks, didn't dry it out enough. You've got mold growing. I mean, it wasn't good for the hash. And a lot of times we had too much plant material, which contributes to the, the, the growth of those types of molds and things like that. So, um, well, I want to just try to, I want to go back to backwashing because I want to spend some time here. There's, you've been really free with your information and, and very sharing and made a lot of impact on a lot of makers. Um, even up here in Canada, you're really well known. And I think you've shared a lot of information specifically around that backwash tech. So. For those people who aren't, don't know about it, can you kind of go take us through it and explain it? Sure, man. You know, uh, what's online and what's written out is kind of a brief description. And I know it, it, it's that way because it's, uh, it's in the way that you use it. It can be used in many different ways. Um, I use it uh, with our crew in many different ways. Um, the origination came from, okay, I'll be straight with everybody. I learned back from uh, some old, uh, I don't know, it might've been a YouTube video or something. And it was some outdoor hash makers and they were talking about how they needed to pre-wash the flour before the hash, before they wash it to make the hash because, you know, you're outdoors, you got dust, dirt, bugs, caterpillar, all those things you need to pre-wash. And this dude, he'd used a bottom, uh, uh, a planting pot and he used a bag, uh, I think a 220 or something. And they used that with the pump and they to suck and clean the water. And that was it. And that was their way of doing their 
pre-wash to clean the dirt out. But I, what I was seeing was we don't have dirt. That's not an issue for me. You know what I mean? So uh, what I'm seeing is the dry plant material that I'm using, the trim, it tends to break down like a dust and it acts like dirt. And that's what can cause contamination in my hash. And that's what's bringing over the darker tones, the colors, the greens, the browns, taking away the, the purity of the acids because the acids are all very light colors, whites, you know, very, very light color. And it's the excess water that we didn't get out or the extra plant material that we may have brought through or the extra stalks that we brought over when we made that wash. And so what I was able to do by practicing, you know, every night till three in the morning washing hash, um, I minimized my wash cycle. So five minute wash and just sprinkle the tops of your water because it's trim. You don't need a lot of shaking and agitation. You just need to keep it cold, get it in the water, do a little sift, pull it. Now you got your heads. But during that process of doing that, you also broke down some leaf material that's going to get caught in your 90 and your 73 and things like that. So what I was able to figure out was using that concept, but instead of using the 220 bag, I'm like, I'm going to use a 25 mesh bag or 45, depending on what type of hash you're, you know, 25 mesh is, is good. It's just a little bit slower process. Um, and then over time, uh, learned that if you put a 220 and then a 25, it allows more for like of a balloon effect and allows for the hash not to coagulate and stick to your bag. Um, it can be, it can, it can go wrong. If you don't want monitor your water levels while you're doing the backwash, you can get hash stuck to your backwash uh, kit. So uh, having a lot of water with your hash at all times is critical, especially when you get higher quality hash, you know, that's really melty. That shit doesn't have, any tolerance for heat other than 33, 32, you know, Fahrenheit. Um, so the cleaner your hash is, the, the, the more water you got to keep your hash in and at a colder temp so you can collect it and, and work it easy. Um, once your water drains and it's just sitting on your bag, good luck. If it's true melty melt, it's going to melt on your bag too. And we've been through that, you know, uh, with our crew as well. So, uh, Having that backwash, being able to fluff it, water coming in, maintain, I keep a little button with the on-off switch, the remote you get at Harbor Freight, the one, two, three, that plugs into the pump. So I'm watching, boom, boom, we'll hit it, make it pump, suck out, still adding water. Oh, it's about to overflow, hit the pump. You know what I mean? Oh, it's getting a little, stop the pump. So you know, having these extra tools and you working it and visually watching the water change colors and making sure you don't drain it and, and burn and, and melt your hash to your bags. Um, that's why it can get tricky. Um, I also use it just to dump my vessels. Cause I used to wash hash by myself. When you got like a 40 gallon brute, you know how dangerous it is to tilt it, right? It's super dangerous. So I'm like, dude, I'll just throw my backwash in there, drain it down to here. And then I can easily tilt it now. So that's another way to use that, that backwash method. So at the same time, you're still kind of doing it clean. A lot of people will just backwash right in the big bin. I have another vessel that I created that I use. It's insulated to maintain a higher temp and a little bit closer circumference that we use it in in a different special basket that we have. It's been modified, you know, over the years to adapt, you know, and all the stuff that I've used are basically kitchen tools, uh, kitchen stores. You know, when you go to the kitchen supply, restaurant supply stores, 
they got some amazing cool stuff and that's and that's what a hash room is we're a kitchen you know and and we're extracting in a different way and we're making something you know and we're using all kinds of different tools to achieve and this is something that uh frenchy always stands out tools 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 remember him he's always talking about your tools you know you got to use tools so it's always stuck in my mind like dude i'm always looking for new tools i'm always looking for uh new techniques when i go to sleep at night i'm whatever i saw on somebody else's wash you know i'm looking at them i say look at how is he stroking it is he is he hitting it is he whipping it is he circling is he just dripping it what is it like you know you look at that at least i do i'm sure other people do too um so yeah man that's it dude. <laughs> that, that makes a lot of sense and i, I mean I, I yeah like so what else what are the other situations that you think backwashing could be applied to that that you didn't list there that other people might utilize it for yeah, so it evolved from trim. Now we use it on fresh frozen. And I have seen a dramatic improvement in our quality of hash by utilizing it in the fresh frozen uh, process as well. Uh, in the same way, we just use it in the same way. Um, but the user will 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 make a difference. It's still just hard, just like any hash maker, what you wash and I wash, you may get two different consistencies, looks and colors and smells. Um, it's all depending on how that person works it. You, it can go bad, you know, just as bad as if you're doing it, another wash and it can go bad. It, it's just, it couldn't, it, some people may not want to do it because it's excessive maybe. Um, it, it, you got to try it, I guess. And, and then just, just be gentle and, and uh, try it and see if it works for you. From the people who have attempted to try it, they've seen uh some some better results and i know it i we use it every time so what what are your thoughts on on hand washing versus machine washing do you do you utilize <laughs> or, or do you do you utilize a mixture of both in, in your facility both uh, but it's primarily hand washed and the machine is to finish it off to yeah. verify uh the yield um, the machine can be used and it can produce some really good product as long as the weed has been properly soaked, properly opened, properly pre hand wash agitated. So therefore it works good in the washing machine. And that's why we use the washing machine at the end of our hand washes, um, to just finish it off. Um, it helps me to collect that data. So when we go and review it, uh, the next day, you know, once the, the freeze dryer is done, we look at the numbers and we can see where did we pull the best. We always want to see the best coming in the pre, the first and the second and the third and fourth. That should just reassure us that we got it all in the one, two and the three, you know, um, once we get consistent with those results, we get rid of the fourth wash, you know, um, that's our evolved to i know a lot of people out there do eight ten wash teen washes i mean i've done those days i used to think that you have to do those washes and you know and to, to maximize your yields but during those days i wasn't documenting my actual numbers i was just washing blind and if yeah, the dudes online's doing 15 washes so i should do 15 washes 
but how do you know, you know what I mean? So now that's what caused me to create that chart. Um, cause I was like, do we really want to do 15 washes? <laughs> that's excessive. Yes. Do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about, uh, about the tickle tech? The tickle tech. Sure. <laughs> um, it, it, if you guys, uh, if you were to look at the back of that, uh, Pele Polari book, uh, there's a chart in there and, and I call it pre-soak. And then the, uh, I think it was called the uh, first. Yeah, we got the pre-soak and then the pre-wash. And uh, the pre-wash is where we like to apply the tickle, tick, the trite tickle, actually. It's actually the trite tickle. <laughs> and uh, the point of that is, is that my, my thought process is this. We just froze this plant, right? It's sitting in negative 10 degree deep freezer. And we're going to bring it out. And I'm going to put it in 32 degrees, 33 degrees water. I'm going to pre it. But I know it's still a little hard. It hasn't completely saturated. And that big old ball of weed that's a frozen ball of ice cubes, basically. If I were to drop that, it would just shatter into shards and be a terrible wash because it would contaminate your hash down on your lower screens. So I'm like, okay, we got this ice cube. We need to pre-soak it, get the saturation going. 30 minutes is good. Now let's do the pre-wash. That's when the trike tickles come on. And you're literally tickling it to open it up, leather exposed, nice and gentle. You just want to have a little foreplay, in other words. You know what I mean? You just want to get things warmed up slowly but gently before you get into the full extraction method when you get into the full first wash. Then you can start to dance. Then you can start moving up, boys. This is, for the, this is for your sex life, too. Yes. <laughs> That's what I always like to joke. I'm like, you know, slow down. Don't, don't, don't hit us so hard, man. You know, you're not going to just come out so great. You're not going to come back. You know, it's like you got to work it and you're going to be a better lover. You know, when you slow it down and enjoy the process and then you can start to visualize this flower being hard and then flaring open as you trike tickle, as you wash and as you allow it freedom to allow the trikes to fall off. I'm not a believer that ice is needed to shear the heads off. I think the heads are already frozen enough that if with the proper cold temperatures and the vortex, they will naturally fall off by you assisting it, but without over assisting it, you know, you just gotta help it. And each wash, you can get a little bit more aggressive as each wash progresses being the last final in the washing machine, which is the most aggressive. Um, and we've also found by applying these, these techniques that the washing machine still spits out beautiful rosin. And it's because I believe the plant material has saturated enough that it's pliable. It's now just plot. It sticks to the screen and it gets tossed out. That's your trashish, right? All that fake floof. That hash that people will see, oh, that's hash. And then you grab it and you squeeze it and it, and it like fluffs up. That's floof. That's your stocks. That's fake hash. Like, don't fall for it, man. Don't collect it. Don't put it in your rosin. It's going to just make things worse. And that's what I, I call trashish, you know, because it's like, no, make edibles. Yeah, you can make edibles. Yeah. But no, no. <laughs> so in like building on that, do you feel that there's a ceiling to commercial scale 
songless production or being such from a mechanical do-it-yourself background, do you feel as though we just haven't gotten there yet with the Ospreys and the Icons and the Whistler techs? Is, is that, is, do you feel that there's a ceiling on quality there? Or do you feel that it, it, uh, it, we just haven't, we haven't gotten I don't know about a ceiling, but I, what I do see is, is potentially uh, a lot of people that I hear, they automatically think hash rosin is made kind of like BHO. They think the process is very simple. Like a lot of investors that come out and they're like, oh, you want to do consulting? Can you tell us how to build a lab? I'm like, yeah, I could tell you how to build a lab, but I'm setting you up to fail because you have no idea what goes in the, the, the craft of making hash. It's not, yeah, just stuff some tubes, turn some knobs, go outside, smoke a bowl, come back, pull the lever, put it in the oven. It's not like that. No, you don't, you don't hop in a Ferrari and go on the racetrack and think you're going to fucking win an F1 type shit. I mean, it goes down to your gardening practices. Um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I am with Los Angeles family farms is their love for the plant and the care that they put into our day-to-day -day activities. We're not just growing flour. We're also growing for hash. Two total different concepts on how you harvest, how you trim, how you collect your trim, how you collect, how you store that material. Um, when you are a hash maker and just working on contract, there's benefits. Yes, you get to go and pick, choose those good farmers. But sometimes you have to go through a lot to find them. Um, and it, it can be challenging. It's inconsistent. You don't have as much control, at least where we're at. We're involved from the pheno hunt, from the seed pack, to running the phenos, to running the washes, running the rooms, watching them grow, putting them in the flowers. Then we get to add them in our pre-rolls, match the rosin. So now you get a concentrated version of that same flower. Uh, there's not, I, I, I don't know of that many, I can't, I'm, I don't know what off the top of my head, of another single source facility that actually only makes rosin from the flower that they grow. I mean, I'm sure they're out there. I just, I'm just not the top of my head, but, um, I know that, that we're one of the, the few that are out there. Cause I know 710 labs, they, they cultivate too, but they also source, uh, Papa select very good, good brand. They also source uh, a lot of the major brands out there. They source may, they may also be connected with the cultivation, but they also have the ability and they do source um, where we're sticking to our single source, you know? So that's kind of the, the angle we want to stick with. What we grow is what we wash is what we put in our product straight across. We're not, we're not bags. That's what we like to call the other brands that, you know, buy other people's weed and put them in their bags. Yeah. No, I, I think that's super admirable, man. And I think like it just adds another level of care, being able to keep it inside the facility. And you're not transporting it. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's being moved maybe, you know, hundreds of yards instead of hundreds of miles. So, you know, I think that that's something super attractive that everybody should know. Like, I think that's something to be very proud of. Um, just Hold on, Jameson. I want to jump in and ask a question. Yeah, go, go, go. So I've heard some people talk about like yields from the type of buds that they're washing with fresh frozen and your trike tickle really intrigues me. Because some people have said the best hash plants to wash are going to be those airy, frilly buds because you can get into the deeper one. Do you I agree. think, well, okay, yeah, but do you think the trike tickle opens up 
like you because you were explaining that do you think the trike tickle is now allowing some of these maybe lower yield um you know strains to actually then be a better hash strain because they have the terps they have all these other things yes the tighter the nug is the harder it is to get it to open up early so you have to gently allow it time to open up um, if you throw it in the washer too soon it's just going to pulverize into dust and you're going to get green tainted you know brown looking hash um, by a slowly allowing it to rehydrate absorb the moisture and not be a solid ice cube uh when you throw out that weed when you're done with your washes and you throw it in the trash that bud should be filleted open you should be able to grab the nug and be like okay it got filleted open like it just you know kind of opened up for you um those are the ones that you're going to most likely have to go for washes you know versus the ones that are more open uh three washes things like that so this is where the data sheet helps you determine how you're going to do your next wash um i'm a, i'm a big fan of saying if somebody gives you 5000 grams then do five 1000 gram washes you know what i mean don't blow it on your first go your first go may be it's, it's your learning you have to learn about your plant unless you've already done it and you know what to expect then you go all right got my plan i know how this one reacts and then you're going to do your best to do that same result um but when you get a new cultivar don't just throw it a lot of people are quick oh i need i'm gonna wash it all tonight i know no wash it a little bit dry it smoke it evaluate it write your numbers down where did your heads come in were you getting 120s 104 73 what where were your heads at what were your percents coming in were they coming in in their first wash second wash third wash were you getting your big numbers where did you feel comfortable cutting off that did you leave it off or do you like i know a lot of times we're leaving some stuff on there but we're also jeopardizing the harvest if we go and pull that on there and so you have to we are always maximizing our quality in as in as much quantity, but still be willing to leave some behind. Have you, you ever know? used anything like uh, like we have fraction finders for for solvent based extraction? And I know a couple of people are starting to tune them for 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 solvent lists, um, so that they can actually see when the yield drops off, like in wash to wash. Uh, anything like what, that? Like live? Can you explain that, RJ? Well, yeah. So, like, I mean, not not that I jack conversation, but. Um, there's, there's, uh, a company and, uh, I think a couple of people behind the technology and it actually is a, like a fraction finder. So you can see the density of the cannabinoids in the solution, um, depending on the solution you're using. So they started out for like ethanol, uh, I think, uh, or sorry, distillate uh, at first, and then they got, um, recalibrated for ethanol. Now they've been recalibrated for butane and I think for water as well. So, um. So you can actually track real time live what's going on and, and where your peaks and, and where your drops are. So I would love that tool. That sounds pretty neat. Okay. Uh, I'll kick you. I'll kick you that information after. I'm all about that stuff. I used to use a TDS meter yeah. uh, to maintain because you're pulling out nutrients. You know, all those colors and stuff is nitrogen, calcium. All your nutrients are also coming out. And so that was one way of me knowing when I needed to drain my wash. 
So like, oh, this water is saturated at the CC. We need to drop it and refresh this water because it my whatever my head at that time, I was like, it's oversaturated. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit more about uh, yields and hatch yields in the industry. And I don't feel that we're necessarily always comparing apples to apples and everybody has a little bit of a different way of calculating yields. And some people are, you know, I grab everything and some people are just measuring the 70 to the 160 or, you know, every, everybody's a little different. Is that something that, um, concerns you in the industry that you put a lot of thought into, or is, is it just, you know, stay in my own lane and, and we do it how we do it. And how do you calculate your yields? Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people like to collect the full spec, uh, version, um, but I don't learn anything from that. I'm looking at what can we learn from this hard work that we just put in, you know? We since growers that this information allows us to translate on how we act with it in the grow room. So maybe that's why I am so particular about hitting every bag. I want to know the head sizes. I want to know that that orange wasn't picked when that orange was still green. I want to make sure that orange has fully blossomed to that juicy, terp, citrusy juicy sweetness that we're looking for. If you pick that too early, it's going to be a little tangy, I mean, a little, a little, just not, not turkey, you know? Um, and we've experienced with pooling early on, on plants and we document it. And all we got was a lower yield, smaller heads, and it's not as terpy. Like, okay. I don't I like that. Thing out there for all you kids pulling early for your white hash rosin. It's not, you don't need to. Especially that's all that matters. Less turf. if you're indoor, there's no reason to pull early. Our plants, unless you burned your plants and did something else, that's different. But if if you're indoors, you're not subject to the harsh daylight. You're not subject to the all the 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 soot in the air, the pollution, the dirt, the bugs, the oils that you protect your plants with. So. You don't have to worry about the colors changing as much. So that's another reason why outdoor farmers would pull early is to avoid a lot of those issues. Therefore to get, and a lot of times these plants were humongous, they grow beastly. So they actually have a, a better yield in, in a term because maybe the way they grow a little bit airier, but they're still terpy in that living soil environment. Um, whereas in indoors, have any of that, so we can go full term and it still is white. You just get a bigger yield, a bigger head size. And I believe it's, a, it's terpier. You've got bigger bulbs that we're collecting and those bulbs are loud. George, when you're running in a new cultivar, uh, how many bags are you running? Of seeds? No. Maybe one or two bags of seeds? No, in no. your wash. Your, your bag? Oh, oh. Yeah. oh, how many bags? Okay, I'll go down. Uh, we use uh, in our wash vessel when we're about to pour the hash and seed it, correct? Uh, we use, uh, start from the bottom, okay? Uh, at the end of our drainage, we have a 25. At the next bag, uh, before that, it would be the 45, 73, 104, 120, 150, 160, wow. 190, and the 220. Wow. That's a big yeah. If I had the 250, which I'll probably get next, I want to play with that. I want to play with the 250 in my wash vessel so I can use that as the separator of the trichomes when they drop. I don't want to use a 220. I want the holes to be big enough so then I can actually use my 220 as a seed. 
instead of using say, what's, like, what's the biggest size that you've gotten beautiful heads at? 120 to, to the 149. Yeah, the 120 to the 149, you get some big heads. Uh, if there were to be something in the uh, 150 and up, I like to believe that these are heads that have fused together and, and, and there's like two or three or four heads that, that melted and can't pass through the net. That makes I mean, sense. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there are some cultivars out there that are making some huge heads, but we personally haven't pulled uh, beautiful, you know, heads in the 150 plus. Um, I usually tell them that you didn't, you didn't rinse it. You didn't keep water in your hash. You allowed it to melt and coagulate. And now it's stuck and it can't pass. And so that's why it's important to keep that water in your hash together. Don't let it get too and coagulate and blend it. Well, that's an interesting it. point then. So when people tell me that they're getting fire in the 160 to the 180, I wonder if it's just that their, their water and their hash hasn't been kept cold enough as they're doing that. And it's got, they've gotten stuck together and they've got heads that are stuck together and it's still fire. Cause it might be like 90 micron heads that are stuck together. That's, that's, these are all questions that have to be answered by that hash maker. I mean, he, he may be having some big heads. I can't, we can, we can only guess, right? Um, and if he does, that'd be cool. You know, I'd like to, I'd, I wish we did, but we don't. Um, but yeah, that's from my experience, I've noticed that if you keep hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, you'll break them down and they'll fall through and they'll go in your 120, you know? Uh, but it's also the, the, the different techniques that we use are, 220 and our 190. I'm using those constantly to see that first wash. So they'll go through the 220, 190 three times before they even hit the, the vessel. You know what I mean? Because we're we're seeding those big chunks out before you start the agitation. You don't want to agitate big chunks. You just get breaking down. That reminds it, it me of out my, early. It reminds me of my wife cooking with like if she wants to make a really good cake, you have to like sieve all of the flour. And like if you're using like what's it called? Um uh, the really light sugar, uh, icing sugar. You got to like sieve it the same way because it, it, the chunks it just doesn't work. It 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 coagulates, it rocks up, and then it stays powder in a little bowl. <laughs> so, I want to pivot a little bit to some really interesting stuff I I saw in your interview on on first smoke of the day. And shout out to those guys. Those guys are doing awesome stuff. Yeah, uh, I fresh press in the California market. Um, I thought you had some really interesting uh, points of view and I wanted to know from your point of view, if you think fresh press will be as prevalent, more prevalent or, or, or less popular three years from now in the California market. I mean, I would like to see fresh press getting more popular, but in my belief, in order for fresh press to get more popular, the hash quality has to go up. You can make a cool looking fresh press that cures ugly in two, three weeks. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of fake fresh press. You know, it looks yellow and golden and clear today, but it actually may turn a little different tinge of a color in two, three weeks from now as it cures. So I think as the quality of your hash gets better, the, the, the popularity of fresh press will be more accepted because that's probably the biggest of a consumer who buys a fresh press. You don't know what it's going to end up like unless you've already 
been through it, you know? Um, so if you've got a reputation for good, high quality, then fresh press should be well. But if you're a new company that doesn't have that and you put out a fresh press and it doesn't show like it's supposed to when it cures up, it, it could hurt you, right? Um, but uh, for now, uh, I'm not, we're not, we don't do what, what a lot of people do is the jar tech where they apply extra heat or excessive heat, 80 plus and up, you know, 80, 100, whatever. Um, that's the one thing that we don't do. Um, we do leave it at room temp between 60 and 70 degrees. And that is uh, our curing method to get it to that creamy, wetty, terpy separation uh, uh, consistency. Um, but it, in order to get that to be a terpy or wetter consistency, we also have to take it back to how we're pressing it on the press. Um, because when you press at a higher temp, you're gonna get you're gonna get a higher acid extraction. Your THCA, CBGA, all your acids, which are that powdery like substance, very white, um, and that's where you get that chalky like rosin. It's high in your THCA. And in order to press and get that high THC off those plates, you have to expose it to a longer temperature. And with that higher and longer temperature, your terpenes are vaporizing. So now you're going to see your terpenes start to drop but your THC goes up. So what we managed to figure out is if we can drop the temperature of the plates, say 150 range, and know that this hash presses at 95%, if we actually tried to squeeze everything out uh, for a high THCA content. But I also know if we only press 70 to 75, we're gonna increase our terp fraction because that's the first thing that's leaving your hot plate. Your terps are the liquid form. They don't need much heat to melt and move. It's those acids that need to be melted to move. So if you can get that terpene fraction off and be okay with leaving an extra 25 or 20% that you could pull, you're going to get a higher terpene fraction. And that's what live rosin, in our opinion, should be based on. And that's where I saved the, the FTDC for the high THC you know, version really smack. You get that closer to the flower version. So I try to keep the two separated by saying you want to get smacked with the high THCA, use the FTDC. You want a high terpene content, use the live re the live rosin. Let's let's unpack FTDC because you know we have viewers from all over. So I, I I'd love to dive into that acronym that you you kind of carved out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. That that goes back to my trim days. You know, being, trying to find out how to make white hash. Okay. That's the simplest way to say it. They were making white hash from flour. How can I make white hash with trim? And that's where the backwash came in. That's what got me to making white hash. Then once it started hitting the market, people started telling people that it was fresh frozen and it's not. And then as the hash maker, I know it doesn't burn as well as fresh frozen and, and it's not being sold by us as fresh frozen, but they are. And it, and it kind of, um, kind of hurt me. Like, dude, why are they, why are they lying to people? Dude, this is made with trim. I'm proud of it. You know how hard it is to make that up. You're going to try to tell somebody it's, it's made. It's, it's almost hard. And it's, it is, it is, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so that's why I was like, all right, I need to, I need to, 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 to say something. So I, I started with that post, you know, FTDC, you know, full term, meaning that we're going to grow this plant. It's full term. We're not cutting it early. 
and then we're going to dry cure it. We're going to chop this plant. We're going to hang it up for 10, 14 days or whatever. And we're going to get the trimmers to trim it for another week or so. And then give it two, three weeks. It's going to be hanging, drying and curing. And then after it's done and trimmed, I'm going to take that trim and put it in the freezer. And then I'm going to wash it. And so that's where uh, I said, you know what, I need to educate the, our, my consumers, the people who are smoking my hash, they tend to follow me. Uh, so I'm like, I'm going to just say full-term dry cure and using trim. And the trim that I'm using is grown from, I believe, some of the best cultivators in our state. So if we got some of the firest wheat being grown, why can't we make some fire rosin with the trim? You know, and guess what? We can and that was like something that we were proud of. Trim fucking makes bomb ass rosin, you know. So we were we were we were really proud and wanted to say that. But then when when the hash rosin community got wind of the trim, it kind of like you know the bouginess of them like ooh well, this is trim it's not it's not flour. Um, so that that was the biggest reason why we didn't bring or we haven't yet to bring FTDC to the market. Um, in this new facility, we haven't made uh, rosin by trim. We've only been focusing on fresh frozen, and that's mostly to please the customers what they want. And and that's a big reason why we use the 104U and the 90U. You know, a lot of people are like, why don't you use the 90U? I used the 90U when I washed trim. And if you look at my pre-2020 years and, you know, on my, my Instagram, you'll see like all those pictures are mostly from dry cured flour or dried trim. And, uh, I forgot, I just lost my track. What was I saying? The 90, the 90 and the 104. The 90, yeah. yeah. And so I would only make 90U in the FTDC rosin. And then the Bugatti bags came out. Everybody was uh, talking about the ice extract equipment, these super duper nice bags. All the heady boys wanted the 104 U. You know, that was the word. So I'm like, huh, if we're going to make fresh frozen, let's make it in the 104 U to not confuse our consumer. So anybody who smokes hash that, 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 that we made, they're going to know 90 U trim 104 fresh flower. You know, that's like, that's just, we're just going to do it like that forever. We're not going to make a fresh frozen in 90 years. It's, it's understood. So that way people can't try to say, oh, this is flower. Like, nah, nah, nah. He only makes a 90 U in the trim. I like that. I like that. So being able to have an inside look at the plants as they're, as they're growing and the finished, the finished product of the plant and then how the hash comes out and, and fetal hunting and being part of all that. What are your takeaways as far as limitations on, on this plant? Um, where, where do you think yields stop out? Like, have we found kind of the maximums that the plant can perform at with the GMOs and, and things like that? Or do, or do you believe there's a lot more room for, for, for more resin to be produced on these plants? Yeah, I think there is more room for, uh, potentially, uh, more resin. Um, it, it, it it's, it's comes down to how the plant is handled if you really take it down to like if you're in your grow room and you walk by and you brush it and your arm is sticky you just lower that yield right when you're in there and you've got your crew in there and they're chopping plants and they got sticky hands and fingers and their scissors and their arms you lost yield so that's where we that's where your team that's taking down your harvest has to be hash makers, or you have to have a hash maker in there to remind people if we're lucky, 
we're going to get one and a half to 3% of this room. Can you, can you imagine that when you look at this room and it's like, dude, there's hundreds of plants in here. Yeah, but we're going to wash this and everything we do in here will determine if we get 1% or 3%. So let's be very delicate. Let's not throw these plants around. Let's not shake them up. You know, be very delicate with everything you do. So it goes down to the entire growth cycle. Um, what did you spray on it? Um, you know, did the plants get shooken up and moved around? Did they slam the trays? Every time you slam your tray, trichomes, you know? So when you start analyzing all these little things that affect your yield, how you collect it, if you collect a big tub, you know, you got a, a tote full of weed that you're going to put in the freezer. You're going to lose yield, you know? I mean, we're at 1250. I mean, I think that's probably the biggest, I, I don't, I don't want to go bigger, but I don't, it's hard to go smaller when you, when you have a lot of material. So we go 1,250 grams. That bag gets in the freezer. Same bag is what we wash. That's one wash, 1,250 grams per batch. So that's, we're not just dumping, you know, 10,000 grams of weed in a barrel. Um, and I think that's what separates us from a lot of the uh, Hashatron users. Um, the Hashatron, as neat as it is, it's very commercialized, but it kind of, if used properly, I'm sure you can make some neat things, but there's, it's, it's, it, it's overwhelming of the amount of stainless steel that that thing has. Um, we don't use anything that big to produce fire. Um, and, and the well, last time I spoke to them, they were big on talking about how much material you can process. I mean, um, I'll, I sent some of those charts to you because we used to process you know, 50,000 grams in a day. We are now down to processing anywhere from 10 to 6, 5,000 a day. And we're content because of the quality that we get when we wash lower amounts. It's not so much about let's hurry up and process this stuff and maximize our yield because we're losing out on quality now. And I had to learn that by analyzing our data. And um, I was, that's where some of those charts I sent you, like on the garlic juice, when we first were washing, we're getting like over 5.8. Yeah. But it didn't translate into good rosin, you know? Um, so you have to start cutting back and telling people, don't be so aggressive. Let's cut some washes out. Let's lose a point on that wash. Let's only go for the floor and see how that looks. And then once we did that, we're like, boom, we got the color back, you know? Um, so those are the things that uh, as, a, as long as, hash makers are involved with the cultivation practices and, and, and how the techniques are done in the craft, the hash is here forever, dude. Um, the commercialization is going to come in, but it, it's going to cheap, get cheap. But I, I think like boutique cannabis, there's going to be boutique hash. There should be, um, well, a lot of, we're self-funded. We don't have corporate, uh, over us, like telling us, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Um, we have the love of the plant pushing us, you know, whereas you may get a corporation, you know, big money. They just want to see profit in return. So they just want to see scale. You know, we want to take all this weed and make a bunch of hash. We can sell it. You know, that's going to happen. Um, will it hurt our market? I don't think so. I think there's two different types of consumers. There's the consumers that are looking for inexpensive stuff. And then there's the consumer who really wants something that's worth smoking and putting in their lungs. That's man. That, I think what you're doing is, is so cool in a, in a market dominated by commercialism. Like I, I want to kind of turn the conversation a bit and, and dive into 
exactly what you're doing at LA Family Farms and, and who's involved and how it came about. Cause like you guys are putting out some incredible products on the market. And I think when everybody's heading in a scaling larger, bigger, better direction, you know, you're actually going, no, I, I know where I'm headed and I'm going to scale down and, and quality. And I think that, you know, that's a really unique story in, in a, in a market that's all trying to, to race to the bottom on, on producing the cheapest product at mass. So where, where did, where did the, when did the journey of LA family farm start? I mean, I know you can, uh, built during COVID, so that must've been quite a nightmare, but take us through the, the journey that you underwent there. Sure. Um, the, the, the owners of Los Angeles family farmers are two brothers and a sister. It's uh, Joe Morris and Jackie. And I've known Joe Morris and Jackie, I want to say since my early twenties, 45, going off five now. So that's one of the reasons why we can, we like to call each other family. We, we, we had good times in our younger years, smoked a lot of weed together. And, uh, as we were all doing our own thing, growing weed in our own little worlds, I had my dispensary at one time back in 2010 and 2007, I had a dispensary called global triage. They were all doing their, their during that time. Uh, our, our other buddy, Chris, who's also a big part of our, of LA family farms. He was doing his thing, running his, 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 uh, growing his OGs and putting them in the stores. And then once the market tanked, I want to say 2015 time, um, is when we all started talking and we're like, bro, what's going on? Like the market is tanking. Everybody in there is growing boof. The prices are dropping. OG doesn't sell for no more than 800 to a thousand now because there's so much water OG out there. Nobody trusts the OG, OG this, OG that. Like OG wasn't selling no more. And that's what we were growing. Um, so we were like, we have to team up. We can't stand alone no more. I used to be known as the Cali, and that's when I, I started the Cali Green Thumb and me and Chris teamed up. Um, I went through a tough time uh, during that time. Um, my landlord, called the sheriff on me, said I was a drug dealer, had the, them CPS come in, talk to my kids. I mean, it was a big old mess. I had to end up sleeping on my, my mother-in-law's living room for two years because I lost my grow operation, all my, my setup because I had to leave the property. She had to go through all this CPS, take drug tests, all this stuff. Finally, during this time, I'm over there hustling, doing sessions because I lost my grow up, so I don't have flour no more. So my boy, Chris, he had his grow up. So I'm like, bro, you got flour. I can, I'm going to sell that shit. I'm going to make my booth through my booth, go to the sessions, show up, just sell, like just boom, just sell the weed, sell the weed, sell the weed. I remember making the pilot license. The pilot license was uh, a joint, a pre-rolled joint. And I would paint it with rosin uh, sauce and I would roll it in ice water hash. And that was the pilot license. And then I, I actually decarbed the ice water hash. I put in that little uh, oven thingy and baked it and it had like a chocolatey aroma. And then I would roll it. So when you look at it, you're like, what is this? And then you would smoke it and just pilot license, license to fly. So I was at the sessions doing that stuff. And then during, uh, I think it was a Kush talk, uh, Joe and Jerry, we cro I was driving in a little golf cart at the, at the, at the sesh. Cause I used to like take my little mini Jeep and drive. And I would drive like, yo, what up, Joe? What up? You know, like it's been a couple of years. We haven't seen like, what are you doing? I'm like, what up? You know, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, dude, we're over here doing our thing. And so that's when, uh, he invited me over to go see what they're doing. 
And uh, when I saw what they were doing, I'm just like, okay, we all right. We we can do some of this. I can sell your weed too, <laughs> you know. So we 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 teamed up. I started trimming with them. I started being you know cleaning, just doing being a part of the team, doing whatever I need to be. Because I'm here now, you know. This is this is the next the the next. I I'm still living at my mother in law's living room, so I didn't want to go home. I mean, I needed to be busy. I got three children and a wife, and 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 life just changed dramatically right now. You know, I just lost everything. And everybody in my family is questioning me, why are you still doing this? Look at what you just did to your family. You know what I mean? Like, this is a, a major direction in life. I have to make a decision. You just about lost your children, lost your house. You're sleeping on the floor and you still want to do this? You know? Yes, I do. Because I can't see being happy doing anything else. This is part of the process. I knew what I was getting into. And unfortunately, it happened. And I'm going to get out of this. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work every day. I'm going to go out and hustle. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to put myself in a booth. I'm going to fucking show weed. Look, look at my weed. Buy, buy some weed. Dude, I was all about it. Just getting out there hustling. I had no other income. Um, and that's when Joe came along and gave me more weed. And they had better weed, bro. That took us to a whole nother level. Then the next thing you know, you know, we started making a name for ourselves because we started putting stickers on the bags. LA Family Farms. We made a little round green stickers back in the day people were digging it price went up on that because it was bagged and you know it 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 that's what yeah. built us and that eventually got me out of my mother-in-law's living room got me to another house and then that was the house that me and chris uh on uh, craigslist found the, the ice house the the freezer at a uh, sports bar grill that's closing down they're like 500 bucks you get it you take it we rolled up it's all built in drywall and shit took us eight hours we took hammers Fucking chiseled it out, pulled it out, yanked it out. Chris wanted to give up like five times. He's like, fuck that thing. I'm like, no, we need this. We need this. <laughs> got it. Got it out. We built it. It's like three days to put it back together. Uh, built it in my garage. I made a, I made a cool bot. They didn't, we didn't have cool bots back then. But because I was into PID controllers, because that's how the press, the rosin press worked. It was a PID controller. Heat on, heat off, heat on, heat off. And so I was like, dude, I just got to trip the thermal poker on the damn, uh, you know, mini split system. And I'm going to put a heating mat on it and I'm going to heat it up to 80 degrees to trick it. So it'll stay on below 61. Then I'm going to have another thermometer. When it gets to 38, I'm going to tell it to turn off the heater so that thing can actually go to 60 below and turn off the AC. You know, I wired it all up, got all these wires hanging out, but it worked, bro worked <laughs> in my room to 38 degrees and you know just got myself a little freezer that's the uh, definition of a g everybody yeah, it's it's just the epitome of stoner in ingenuity and just like raw hunger just to, <laughs> no but like it, to be man. backed up it. against the wall like that like... to be backed up against the wall like that and not only come out swinging but come out with a fucking samurai sword like yeah. and just fucking Fuck chopping yeah. limbs off like bro you're you're a fucking inspiration like not only are you a wealth of knowledge and just like truly humble and like your approach to stuff I, like when you're doing analysis you're you're not analyzing it the same way as everybody else i said this the other day when we were talking you're looking at this like like an engineer would and like you know i i tell people all the time like you know you don't need to go to school to be a scientist, to be an engineer. It's about like what goes on here with what you see every day. And like, 
dude, you're like an inspiration on so many levels. So like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that about you. Like, like even the way you're talking about training your staff and like approaching like a correction, like it was just like, man, like I wish that more people had like the understanding that like just that approach a means a ton, but like, that's how you make positive corrections. You know, I, 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 I'll like, we, I'll, we can get into that a little bit later, but like, man, like you're, <laughs> thank you guys. It's awesome. Man. Get into this industry, man. Like you're, you're one of the reasons why I think people would want to get into this industry. And we'll talk about that, you know, in a little bit, but like, you're not, you don't even talk about it as a struggle. You, it's just like, it's just part of like the story and the like process <laughs> there, and, and, no, there's no fun in it. If there's no fight. <laughs> so I think, yeah. you know, those high flyers, was it, was it the high flyer? Is that what they were called? Pilot's license. Oh, no, the pilot license. Sorry. Um, they, was that the, the inception of the hash hole that you're doing right that you brought to market right now it it was the beginning of it um and then talk about those a little bit because i didn't know the details of them the the hash hole was an evolution of me having hash involved with the joint um in addition though but the the that this joint the way um I don't know if you guys, I don't even know if I have one. Let's look around here for a second. It might be one on, on IG, Brian. You can pull it up. I, I got to smoke one of these. You gave yeah, me Yeah, take a look. And it was like, I brought a pre-roll guy at all. Um, but like after I saw your hash, of course, I'm going to smoke that. Let's see. The glass of yes. It's absolutely beautiful. See how it, it pinches off at the end? The, the custom glass tip and then, yeah, it's it, with the, with the, I've local. heard many people say they will never smoke a yeah, pre roll, but if somebody crazy. gives them that, they're smoking that. So, this glass tip, and then we put a little crutch in here, and this has 1.25 flour and 0.4 of hash rosin in there. That's a bat. I think we'll fucking do yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh, the <laughs> two tickets to paradise. <laughs> Back his bags, we're leaving the day of tomorrow. Yeah. They're so nice. They're uh, so. Yeah. The, so the evolution. This use. We originally dropped this. This glass tip has been in a few different joints of ours over the last few years. The first time this tip uh, we made back in the day, we used to call it the mob wood. That was what we used to call it, the mob wood. Okay, and the mob wood was basically during the time when packwoods were really popular at that time when they got the 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 back, uh, backwoods right with the flower and the keef okay and i've never been a, even though after the pilot license i never became a big fan of the stuff on the outside i've always wanted to put it on the inside felt it was it had a bed in there so we came up with the mob wood and we said this one will break your legs because when we took the backwood, um, at the time, distillate was really popular. So we would paint the inside with distillate and then we would sprinkle it with ice water hash and then put the, uh, the flour and, and roll it up. So instead of doing it on the outside, we just did it on the inside. Instead of keef, we use ice water hash to be more effective. And that was the, the, the mob wood that would break your legs. And it looked like a nice cigar still, but it was loaded on the inside. So 
because you can't take tobacco to the cannabis industry, you know, on the rec market, we had to do away with the tobacco leaf. And then we started getting into the rosin. And then uh, just over evolution, you see the, you know, putting the worms in there. And I've never, I've never been a big fan of the cone version because of the amount of the resin that, that has, that goes on. So I've always loved this tip, this special glass tip. So again, we're like, let's use this tip. Let's maintain that same gauge so you can get a nice, easy draw. And um, this is a 30 to 45 minute smoke. You know, it, it really is. It, it's 30 to 45 minute smoke for one person to the head, you know, if you can. <laughs> No, they're super nice. And I mean, can you talk a little bit about the training that your staff go, go through and, and how many are produced by, by a person each day? When I, when I heard that, I was, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we take pride in the craft again, it's, it's just like everything we do in our facility from the craft of growing the flower to how we facilities, very clean, um, just as well as the craft of the presentation of our pre-roll. Uh, they are hand-rolled. Uh, we do use a variety of tools to assist us to make things look as, um, just like when we're making hash, we use tools to help us do the things that we do. But there are a lot of things that can go wrong when making these joints. So usually when comes the team for the first time, we tell them, look, don't worry about what the guy next to you is doing. What I need you to focus on is learning how to avoid the mistakes you're going to make today. Don't expect to do it right. And if you do, you're going to be amazing. But just learn how to avoid the mistakes that you're going to make. So once you make a mistake, learn how to see how it got there. Like you'd be like, oh, that back rolled, that paper back rolled. Well, how did it get there? Because I didn't tuck it with the card. I didn't make sure that it was clean and tucked before I committed to the close. Like little details so you can avoid the mistakes. And then once you make enough mistakes, you start to realize, oh, this is a lot easier. I just got to do this, this, boom, boom, boom. Little tricks that you use with your fingers, little tools. You're like, oh, if I use this to hold there, you know, and if I hold this, this, I can dip this with this hand and I can go boom, you know, um, but it's technique, you know, just like I'm a wrestler. That's my career back in high school. I was a wrestler and I've been a small guy. So I'm all about technique. I could take big dudes down because I can leverage weight. Big dudes just come at you. Come at me, I'm going to pull you. Now you can't even stop yourself. You know, that's the beauty of analyzing techniques. It's like, there's just because you, you, you're weak in one, you can actually make that weakness strong by just analyzing it and putting it in your best, best foot forward in other ways, you know? Um, so uh, when we go through the training process, it takes about two, three weeks for them to nail it. Uh, we're trying to avoid getting weed on the logo. That's hard. You know, it's white. So just one little thing of weed, it's like, all right, it's a re-roll. Uh, when you seal it, the wrinkles, um, did you cover the diamonds on the glass? Reroll. Um, is it coned when you finished it off? Did it cone out or is it consistent? There's a lot of things that can go wrong with it, but there's only one way to do it right, you know, at the end. Um, and the, the crew that we have uh, that, that rolls the joints with us, they're amazing. Like the joints that they've made, uh, are the QC is on point, dude. They really, really, uh, uh, hold their, hold themselves up to a really high standard on their own, um, to a point where we're proud to put their name 
and like who it was rolled by, you know, giving credit back to where the credit's due. Like this was a masterpiece, you know, LA Family Farms, we grew this weed, you know, we made the hash, but this is the person who actually put this joint together for you. You know, and now we're starting to get feedback, like on the Instagram, like, yo, I love, you know, these 42's joints every time they're, they burn perfect, you know, like, and then you go back and you get to tell them, you're like, bro, they got some good words on you, you know? Uh, So it's, it's neat to, to be able to um, give that credit back to a craft. You know, we are LA family farms, everybody who's in that facility, even though Joe Morris, Jackie built this facility. Uh, they chose who's in this facility and that's who becomes this, this being Lily family farms is, 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 is bigger than what, you know, three, four people can do. Um, but it takes the love and the passion of everybody who's working with us so we can maintain what we're putting out. So uh, I like to give a lot of credit to our crew. Um, and the same thing, like when we go to the stores and we do, you know, patient appreciation days and we try to meet and greet the customers, we don't have a sales staff yet, maybe in the future, but I like to actually take our crew and let them kind of get the experience of people saying, yo, you guys grow some fire stuff, you know? Um, and it's really neat because they get to feel like, Hey, this is our work. And it is, you know, cause they're in there day in, day out, you know, they're making it happen. Yeah. We're the leaders and we, you know, we've brought our years of experience to help get us this far, but in order to keep growing, we need a bomb kick-ass team, you know, and, and we're very lucky, dude. We got amazing, beautiful souls and good people, good family people that love uh, what we do and they have their passion and everything from uh, taking down a room to cleaning the walls, cleaning the floors, to helping make the hash, helping make the pre-rolls, helping make deliveries, you name it. They're down to do whatever needs to be done in our facility. And that's the cool thing. Nobody's like too, too above do something. Even myself, I'm out there cleaning and chopping and taking trees down, getting in the stores, door knocking, trying to knock on doors to buy our weed, doing what we got to do. That's the real family vibe, legit. That's awesome. I, I wanted to go through your lineup. Like, I mean, I think that I, I took a look and like, I mean, I'd like to break down stream cultivar by cultivar what you guys are running right now. Cause I think it's some, some incredible heat. Um, so if you could take us through that, then I think that'd be awesome. Sure. Uh, one of the newest ones that we just, that we're starting to put out right now is our white truffle and, uh, the white truffle, we picked that cut up from Justin Cron out of Oregon. And, uh, that's the GG four, the gorilla glue cross with the peanut butter breath. So we're big fans of old legendary strains that used to rock, but then they got watered down and lost their lust, you know? So whenever we get some like interesting crosses, especially with that peanut butter breath, we were like, play with that. And, um, we're, we're running it now. This is, I want to say our second run with it. Um, it's getting better because we're still dialing it in. It's still new to our facility, but she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Turf layer. Yeah. How it just melts and this like makes that little turf puddle kind of thing looking there. It's like uh, the butter. And that's where I'm talking about pressing that lower temps to maintain a higher T uh, lower THCA to increase. And we got a 6.8, uh, and some change percent turp on this batch when we tested that. So I'm always trying to get like seven, like I'm all like, if we can get seven and then more, like that would be good. That'd be great. (laughs) 
And what, what, what's, crazy, what's an acceptable but... yield to, that stays in your facility, George? I was going to say, yeah, that you could run. Well, there's two things that we always consider. Sellability and then yield. Just because something doesn't yield so well, but it's sellable, we'll run it. Um, our, our rainbow belts, for example, uh, doesn't yield well, but it's sellable. It's wanted. It goes quick. So, you know, you, you, we like to, we don't always base it on, oh, this thing's a heavy yielder. You got to keep it. If it's the Terps are good and the, and the, the community wants it, that's what we're going to run. Fortunately, it doesn't yield well, but at least it doesn't sit. <laughs> Straight up. Straight up. So what, what about other than the, the white truffle you're running? Uh, the white, yeah, the white truffle. So that's the white truffle. The other new one we got is pink Lotus, uh, that we just released. It's in stores now. Uh, that one is a Fino, uh, of, of four that we're running. Uh, but with this one particular has the name pink Lotus. It is a Sherb crossed, uh, runts. It's a Sherb cross runts. So leaning towards that runts market, it's still heavy over here in California. Um, it tends to be a big seller. It already has sold out in the stores that we've dropped it. They've already done second reorders on it. So it's already doing well. And it's mostly because it's got that runts in it. Like runts does well for us. Um, the other one that we just dropped was the big head. Big popular one in my book. I think it's going to get some traction. The name may not be appealing until you hear what it is. Um, big head is heat locker crossed with sherb head. And then heat locker is ice cream cake cross Mac cross fire OG cross chem D. And then they took all of that and crossed it with the sunset uh, Sherbert with the headband OG. So you've got like these old school legendary OGs with the new school and the colors of the ice cream and the Sherbs. And it's an amazing smoke, dude. Totally. I think it's testing in like 32%, some, some silly, crazy number. What's the budget like, like on that? Is it closed like, or is it open? Like it's closed. It's closed. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a tight, it's a tight structure. I got some butts here. Yeah. That's like truffle. When we see that white truffle too. I've only seen Justin post it and it's obnoxious every time he does. Crazy. So this is, oh, wow. The big bud. It's hard to. Yeah, no. Yeah, Ryan says, please. <laughs> it's got a nice, you know, purple tinge to it. It's not the best camera I'm using. You can see. Yep. It's frosted right out. Yeah, it's gassy. Like boom, it it smells delicious. And then the white truffle. She's much looser. You can see in her. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, see how you can see more like pallets kind of stacking, um, which makes it much easier to fillet. And the how it's like a a, a pine tree, you know, like a, like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I'm looking at it like totally. that. It's it pretty easy fillet in the wash if you can imagine it flaying open. Which I'm trying to get yep. you here as it breaks apart, and that's what allows the trikes to drop. This one we were getting. Uh, 4% on, on pretty consistent, like 3.8 to four, um, on a consistent wash basis. Um, the big head, the first time we washed it, I think it was just under three, but it was a small test batch. So it's, it's hard to sit on that number. I think that once we do uh, a bigger batch, we'll be able to 
do more washes and analyze it. I think there was only like three or 400 grams when they washed it just to see if it, how it looked. And it was amazing. I can't wait to wash the big head. We're expected to, uh, cut some, uh, for fresh frozen soon. Uh, because the, the rosin is even whiter than the white truffle and it's just out of this world. It rocks. And then <laughs> didn't work. I was trying to get, I was trying to get the big head on and it just keeps minimizing. Uh, so those are the, our, our, and the pink layer, those are the top three that we yeah. just released. Uh, but in our lineup, we also have gelato 41, which she does well. It's an oldie, but it, but a goodie. It's just, okay. it's, it's, it's a go-to. Okay, hold on. I got it. <laughs> there you go. There she is. Yes. There's the big, big head. head. Yes. Yes. And, and that's, that was bred by our good homies, Tahoe Nugs and, uh, OG, uh, loudest. They're the ones who created that cross with using the Sherb head and the heat locker. OG loudest made the, the heat locker. And uh, Tahoe Nugs made the sherb head, and they made that beautiful, gorgeous lady right there. Uh, now this one here is different, though. What is this one here? You're going to show me. Uh, I think that's the Fujitsu. I want to say from back in the day. Wow, this is unreal. This video. Yeah, yeah the video uh, Macro Kai, how he gets this beautiful zoom into the to the heads on the flower, and that's real. He just has a like a super expensive camera that does like hundreds and hundreds of shots. And then um, he I puts it all together to I make said it. that other one. Here's the See. Gelato 41. Uh, what is this? No, garlic juice. Oh, that's a garlic juice image. And that's the GMO cross papaya. No. But if you, um, you know, who's that? these are just people's reposts of somebody's. That's back in the day on the white chocolate chunk. We don't, uh, we don't even run that one anymore. But uh, we also have white runts out there and uh, cold snap. Um, what else we got out there? We're going to be bringing out, uh, shrunts. We got, uh, do you want to talk about where, where you're currently available and you yeah. know, wh where your presence in stores is and you know, the big news that you have for 2022 for, for your rosin. Yeah. So currently we can be found in, uh, Dr. Green Thumbs, Silmar. Uh, we are also in lemonade, Van Nuys, uh, we're at cookies, uh, Maywood, uh, cookies, Santa Ana. We are in uh, Jungle Boys OC. We are in Jungle Boys TLC. Um, uh, we are in uh, Bark. Uh, there's 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 a lot of the major chain. We are in Green Wolf. We are in um, Bonafide. We are in Cush Alley. Uh, we are we are still a small brand. We've only been on the, the this market for twelve months. Uh, as of de uh, December it was our first. 12 month anniversary from December to December, the first year. Um, we've, we've been blessed to, uh, have these stores accept us and allow us to be on their shelf. Um, because these are high end, well-known branded stores. Uh, so being a brand new brand, it's, it's huge for us. It's got us a nice foot into the, it's the marketplace into the consumers. Now this year, our focus is to try to make our flower more accessible. Uh, accessible meaning cost of dollar. Um, we all know probably been the worst year for the price of cannabis per pound. When you look at the, and you analyze the market, just like you should, you know, we've all, I've always looked at the weed market like lobster. It's either in season or it's out of season. And there's either a lot of it or there's not enough. 
and market price will dictate the price of your wheat. And we see that in the, you know, in the, in the, in the cost of the pound, the cost of the pound has dropped dramatically, but we haven't seen the prices drop in the stores and seeing the prices up high in the stores, it it basically encourages the traditional, uh, you know, black market to thrive. It gives them that room to buy the flour at a pound rate at its lowest it's ever been, but have the retail tag that's out of this world that you can cut them out, sell it for cheaper. And what's the point of going to the store now? You know, uh, the overtaxation on it and the extra doubling up and all that. So uh, we, as as a, as a team and as a as a family, and, and uh, speaking to other dispensaries and other cultivators uh, that are like us, that are that are in it for the love of this plant and the passion, and we're not the the big investors trying to squeeze every dime and penny out of it. What we really want is we want people to smoke our wheat straight up. We want people to smoke our rosin. We want people to smoke our hash holes. Why? Because we really believe that it's good. Like, I love it, dude. I smoke this shit all day, every day, and I want to share it. I love the herb, and I want to share the love. That's always been my motto. Love the herb, share the love. All the love that we put into this, the friends that you can make when you share your weed, that's how innocent met, bro. You know, it's just, yo, you love weed. I love weed. Look what I got. I got, let's share it. Remember I cooked you up, took your jar. Like, yeah. yo, take some. Like, five jars. Beautiful. I, bro, I that's, love... bro, that shit reminds me of like, just when I first started smoking weed, like just the vibe where it's like, yo, you got weed? Yo, come, let's go smoke together. Let's go get high. And then, yo, okay, you you got the weed? I'll go buy some candy or I'll go buy the pizza, bro. Like you can tell people when when somebody's like really about it, they're like vibrating on it, and their eyes light up. Like you just you can you can tell with people. Like if you if I hand somebody a jar and they don't they don't open it and smell it, and they like they like actually, and I'm like, don't oh, check this out, and they look at it and they hand it back to me. I'm like, oh, you missed it. <laughs> you got it. I almost feel bad sometimes because like the first thing someone gives me a jar. My nose is going right up in that thing. Like, yeah. In- that was a nug. I'm like, I want to molest your nug. <laughs> Bro, yeah, I think better not have given you, me your best looking nug because I'm going to be breaking it. Exactly. I'm going to squeeze it. <laughs> so, George, what, where do you see the solventless market in California going over the next three years? Do you, like, it's growing at a rapid pace, and we know we can see that in the numbers. Uh, do you see... What innovation are you seeing in the market right now? And, and do you think you'll continue to see it? Or do you think that full plant, fresh frozen, uh, cold cured and, and fresh press are kind of going to be what we're, what we're looking at primarily? I think cold cure is going to be around quite a bit. Uh, fresh press is going to be around. Uh, it's going to get more and more. The prices will drop. It has to, unfortunately, to become more accessible and more usable. Um, just like weed, when flower first came out, when purple weed was out, you know, just like us last year, our eights out the door were 75 bucks out the door with taxes for an eight. Our goal today, this year, we want to structure it where our customers can walk out the door 60 bucks. You know, that's like in my book, 50 to 60 bucks for a good solid eight. That's high end. 
that's worth it. You know, you try to push me over 60. I may not buy it, you know, or uh, I'm going to be so fucking critical of it when I get right. that. It I better may, be I not just, you know, I, we want, I mean, we like, we always say, you know, we're, we're the plumbers. We're the custodian. We are the people that smoke like heavy. We smoke every day. And guess who we go to? The same people who are just like us. We're not driving our Mercedes. You don't see us wearing Rolexes and gold chains. That's not who we are, bro. We're getting it done. And guess what? We fucking smoke heavy, heavy. And that gets it. Dude, who are we catering to? Do we really care that the rappers make more money than us? Or do we just want everybody who's a normal guy like us that just smokes heavy, smokes some good weed at a reasonable rate? You know, we don't, we obviously can't be too cheap because we got an expensive facility. We're indoors, the electricity, the taxes, it's overwhelming, but we are willing to make that adjustment. And I know other companies are not, you know, they're just like, oh no, keep the prices high, taxes high, everything's gotta be high. But we feel it in our numbers. We're just like, dude, we're not selling enough weed. And then when we are in the stores that we are in, they're like, you guys have some of the best weed in the store. Yeah. You know, they're like, you guys are blowing up. So that's when we, you know, huddle up and we start strategizing and we start talking about who are we? You know, we're LA Family Farms. Why are we LA Family Farms? Because this is where we came from. This is where we found bomb ass weed, Los Angeles. This is where we've always grown our weed. This is where everybody that we've grown for was from LA. And we look to them for their approval to say, this is fire. And now what are we going to afford it and just keep it for the highest paying price it's like that's not cool dude we want people to smoke our weed 100 <laughs> so that's 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 our goal this year is to try to get into as many neighborhood stores uh we we have, we have different pricing structures and different programs that uh we classify and judge our flower on our 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 own uh judging criteria and we price it and rate it and we say hey this one's going to be at this rate, you know, and this is the stores that can work with it because there's certain neighborhood stores that have certain clientele that have an X budget. They're not going there to buy the what's what the Louis Vuitton of the weed, right? They're just going to get their daily, their weekly eight. Yeah. And I want to be, we want to be one of those weekly eights that they come in to get, you know, that they can just let, like, dude, everything LA family farm puts out is always going to be fire. And we're always rotating our flavors because we too don't like smoking the same all the time so we're constantly rotating and we kind of can connect with the consumer like yo we get it dude i know i could smoke garlic juice for a week i love it but after a month i'm kind of ready for something else you know so no you're that's why we're not one with jameson i mean we can talk that to i don't agree with you that's my desert island but i'm uh, i'm over but here no, to gmo forever i just i love gmo so much no but i, I feel yeah so many people problems. get so sick of like certain Talking more about flavors and, and changing that out, I think that's really like a, a key point and having those seasonal or, or, or mainstays that come out and come back is super valuable to have. Where George, where do you see the flavor profiles going uh in you know a year or two's time? Do you do you see it staying in where it's at today or do you see it changing? And if you see it changing, what direction do you see it going as far as a, a flavor profile? Um, right now, the big, big terp, the chase is all on the Z terp. You know, I don't know what you guys are hearing up there. The Skittles crosses are coming hot, heavy, hot and heavy in many directions. Um, a lot of the genetic breeders are crossing back and, 
uh, a lot of heavy Skittle stuff uh, coming out. In addition to that, I believe the OG crosses as well. Um, I think what we, what us and our crew that, that we speak with and, and collaborate with and kind of, you know, ride this market together with, we all kind of feel that uh, we're trying to phase out the, the, the exotic purple necessity and open up people's eyes to green weed again. You know, I used to say, let's make green weed great again, you know, but you know, that some of the best weed we've had had been green, you know, the OGs and stuff like, so by bringing that back and that's like the big head, you know, the big head is kind of like the introduction still got a little pink, pink, purple tinge to it. Um, the biggest transitioner is probably our rainbow belts. You know, our rainbow belts is ugly ugly there's no purple in it it's all green and it's just little round little boulder looking golf ball looking ugly buds but if you close your eyes it's gorgeous and it smells amazing and it smells like 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 you're eating tricks or something you know some some skittles you know super terpy the rosin spits out you know seven seven something seven point eight or something we got on the terps you know so uh again it yields it yields low but it's it's the the it's the Terps that are selling it. Um, same thing with the Zushis. All those, those are all uh, Skittles types of, of strains. Uh, it's the Terps. So um, even now, like when uh, we're going to start labeling on our bag with an additional sticker, the top three Terps in that plant on our test results. And then when I do the bud tender training with the bud tenders at the stores, I try to tell them, I said, from now on, start looking for that. So you can start educating the consumer to stop thinking about THC and start shopping on Terps. But unfortunately, there's no Terps on the packages for you to talk about. And I said, so we're going to start just putting them on there and you encourage the consumer to Google it and figure it out. And if we can get them to start Googling what these terpenes mean, they're going to start coming in and start asking for these terpenes. And so we need to educate the consumer that it's not about the THC, dude. About the terps, the different combinations, the carophyllines, the 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 menthols, the limonines, the pineols, like those are some good things that that make the experience, you know. Hundred percent. I mean, so I'm, I I see that. When's the last time somebody showed you a jar and you were like, "Oh, nice man, I, what THC percent did you see?" <laughs> I don't give a damn. I do, but that's why we always do our own test. We say, we're going to go do a real test. I'll be right back. I'm going to go drive down the street. Because <laughs> we can't smoke in the facility. And so we go do the real test, go down the road, park on the side of the corner and light it up. That's the real test. <laughs> that's very cool. So are, are, there, are you seeing uh, a large amount of these more premium pre-rolls coming to market? Or are you finding you're in your own lane? You no, know, uh, infused pre-rolls are becoming more popular. We are not the only hash hole on the market. Um, there has been other hash holes that have dropped. Um, uh, Fidel's is, is a good friend of ours. He's, we basically came out to the, the market at the same time. Um, he's got the two versions, two larger versions. Um, the price point's a bit higher. Uh, and then we also have uh, Loaded Co., uh, it, they kind of did the same thing. They they make a, a hash hole joint price pretty high. I think seven ten labs dropped a hack too long ago. Pretty price pretty high. Um, and then uh, cushy or the punch extracts dropped theirs, and they're they're probably closest to our price point. Um, 
the only difference between us and them, we're single source. They have to source their flower. And then that's what I'm finding that a lot of the bud tenders like to tell me, like, like the reason we really like your pre-roll better is that we can see the flower that it comes from because they it's in their store and then we can see the rosin and now we know where it came from. They're like, some of these other hashels are just manufactured from random farms and they're not really grown. Like you guys put the attention into it. So you never know what you're going to get in some of the other ones that actually cost more. So. 100%. So George, what, what advice do you have for people? Like, I mean, the industry's tough right now. We're seeing layoffs kind of across the board. There's, there's a few states that I mean, are, are on a bit of a glow up, but what, what advice do you have for people first off that are trying to get into the industry? And, and then secondly, the people are that are, who are already in the industry trying to work their way up. What would you tell them? Um, if you are trying to get into this industry, you have to understand that you have to start from the bottom. I've noticed a lot of people want to just get to, to the top real quick, or they want to get a, 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 a good position. And those positions are earned from the bottom. In order to be in a higher position, you, in my opinion, you have to go through the lower positions to understand the importance of the higher position. A lot of people today do not want to start at the bottom. You know, they just want to come in and they want the big bucks right off the bat because of whatever their reasoning is. But, um, and if people ask me about my career, I was working for no salary for a long time because of the love and passion. And I was just doing my own sales. You know what I'm saying? To make, do my hustle and to be a part of this name and be a part of this team. My job was to go and sell it and make my dough that way. You know, I wasn't paid hourly or salary or nothing like that. And a lot of people still expect they're like, well, pay me, pay me, pay me. You guys have got millions of dollars. And it's like, no, we don't. It's all in this building. We put everything we make right back in here, pay the lights, pay the rent, you know? We make less money now than we did when we didn't have this facility. That's the, the, the reality of the legal market. There's so many more that have to be paid and uh, regulations and employees and benefits and taxes and it goes on and on. But our love and, and passion allows us to block that out and just keep doing what we're doing. And that's where, you, that's the only way you, to be honest, you just say, dude, but look at what we're doing. Cause I've been, I've been in worse situations. You know, I've been sleeping on a couch, you know? So I'm like, we're good. We're going to be all right. We just got to keep pushing. And if not, just keep pushing harder and every extra money we get, just throw it back in. You know, that's how, that's how we've always done it. That's how we built ourselves over time. That's how we've done it, dude. You just, you know, you don't just got to throw it back at it and it'll come back. And if it doesn't do it harder. What is that? What, what are the, some really common mistakes that you see people, young hash makers who are starting out making it, you know, some advice that you can give them that you would help them in their journey. Uh, the biggest thing is just trying to hurry up and wash and get the, get the job done. They want to hurry up and just wash it all in one shot. That's the number one thing that I hear. I'm just going to wash it all tonight. And that's probably the biggest mistake you should do. Um, even to this day, we rarely wash everything in one. Still, 
do small batches, analyze. So I would say that. Uh, two, you are not analyzing and 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 reviewing and checking your you know, like the data sheet that we use, we're constantly checking ourselves, checking our work, checking what we did, put it on the banger, watch the color. Did it chaz up? How much heat can you apply to it? Can I go to 700 and it not burn? You know, like these are things that we burn and test on. The higher the temp you go, the purer the oil, the less plant material. If it starts chazzing out at 550, then you probably got some plant material that's chazzing out. But if it's pure oil, you can go over 700. It's still going to go. Once you get 750, you start burning the oil now. You know, like those are the things. That's why I like to smoke my stuff most of the time. Because I'm not just smoking it because I, I like my weed. That's one. Two, I'm analyzing everything. When I'm smoking our ash holes, I'm looking. How many puffs does it take to get before I blow off the first ash? When I blow off that first ash, do I see the hash hole? Is the hash hole centered? Is the hash hole a triangle? Or is it a circle? Who rolled this joint? You know, it'll be like, how does it burn? Is the hash hole too long? Does it get towards the, the paper tip and it forces the person to keep smoking it? Like constantly. And then I go back and then I tell, you know, the crew, like, yo, I smoked your joint last night. It was cool until, you know, until I noticed the hash hole was going all the way down. You know, and, and one of the reasons why we make this joint is to be enjoyable on the upper part. That yeah. bottom part of the joint is your throwaway zone. Like, that's when it kind of gets ugly. It's okay to throw the joint away when there's just about this much weed left, you know, like, go ahead, throw that away. But you don't want your rosin yeah, Jameson. to be here. <laughs> you know, I want the rosin to be smoked up in here, <clears throat> up in this upper section, Yeah, you know, that way they can see the holes gone. And then when they get here, they can be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just, I'm just, that's the ass end of it. Put it out, you know? Yeah, they're already flying. Yeah. Well, Jordan, I mean, oh, where can people find you? Where, like, what, let's, let's, uh. Oh, the Instagrams? Yeah. All right, here. So let me, let me put them up. So we got the George Green Thumb. That's my main personal account. I run that account. So, you know, if you ever hit me up, you want to talk hash, uh, hit me up. Uh, some, I have my notifications turned off. So. I may take a little bit to, to, uh, catch up. Um, but I'm down. I love talking hash. If you can get me talking, dude, ask me anything you can and watch uh, the stuff will just come out. Uh, so, uh, every now and then some dude will hit me up and ask me a question, like a long winded question where like my answer is too long to type. I'll be like, bro, send me your number. I'll just call him up and I'll be like, yo, this is what it is. I'm driving. I didn't have time to type it. So let me just chat it up with you, you know? So I, I like that stuff. Like just like this dude, just to talk shop and, you know, um, it's, I love it, dude. You know, strangers are just friends you haven't met yet, bro. That's right. <laughs> well, so then, so people oh, so should follow this, this Instagram, right? This, yeah. This that's Instagram. our newest account. Our, our other account, which has the 20 some thousand followers. That's our original account from our additional market days. It's still very active, but it's been shut down like four or five times. We just got it back. Um, so we're kind of baiting it. We don't want anybody to kind of start reporting it. However, we did start our new account at la.family.farms. Actually hired uh, a meat and a photographer on our team. These two people started in our cultivation department. They started, you know, 
taking down the plants and breaking down the rooms and helping us do all the stuff. And now they've created the position where now they're photographer and now they're running the media page. So this is how we are like a family. Like we just evolve and we're growing. Like, I don't know what new positions we're going to have next year. It's like, as we grow, we just kind of, yo, you're good at this. I see you know how to use the camera. Come over here, <laughs> you know? So just like a family would be, you know what I mean? You, you guys, guys are going to be successful no matter what, because it's like, you guys are looking Goodbye. for internal talent and then whatever the talent is, it's you know, making that happen with it. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's amazing to hear even separate from cannabis. Your talent. Yeah. Like, and that's either like tagging. I used to like cultivating superior relationships. Like we're not just growing weed. You're growing a relationship with the plants, with the people that you work with, with the people who smoke your weed, you're cultivating relationships. Like it's a lot more than just, you know, you going out and meeting people. Like there's a lot that you have to put into it to make something beautiful. So I'm a big fan of cultivating superior relationships, big fan of loving the herb and sharing the love. Like that's, that's, that's my whole philosophy uh, of why, you know, I like to do what I do and, and share my ideas. A lot of people will tell me how oh, you, you tell too much, you know, in a way, you know what, dude, you can never tell too much because how someone interprets what you're saying may not translate anyway. It, the, 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 the devil's in the details, like they say, right. Oh, yeah. there's, there's so many variables that we couldn't even speak about because we're not doing it. If we were actually making ash, then I'll be like, oh yeah, I forgot. Let me tell you about this. You know, oh yeah, I forgot about this part. There's so many other things going on that, dude, I can't tell. Even if I tried to tell you the secret sauce, it's still not the secret sauce. <laughs> you know, but by sharing this stuff, I'm hoping to have other people share because I learn from other people, dude. I'll look at other people's videos just on, like I was saying, just I'll watch it. And they may not be verbally sharing, but they're sharing something, you know, and that's how I've always learned. I've learned from watching other people do stuff. And I feel that I'm in such a fortunate position. Dude, I'm around hundreds of plants of weed, hundreds of pounds of weed a day. I get to wash 10,000 grams of weed a day. Fuck, this is amazing. Man, I got the best job in the world, you know? Why rush it? Why rush it? You know, uh, slow it down. Who were, who were, two or three of the best extracts you smoked in the last few months that weren't made by yourself. Like, are you smoking other people's extracts at all? Yeah. You're almost like ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dab Logic, our homies. Yeah. I still got, they still got their, uh, uh hazelnut cream. Yeah. Right. Is that what they called it? The hazel, yeah. hazelnut? So I don't know if you can see yeah. that. Purity plant sift that they did. And that's a exotic mic, uh, exotic genetics cross. That's an yeah. unreal color. Even yeah. after like what, yeah. a month, two months. This is like a couple months old. Yeah. At least. Where did you and then, that? um, Fridge or freezer? My pocket. It goes with me on the daily in my, in my bag. <laughs> And then, uh, my other boy, uh, uh, you know, Fidel, Fidel, Fideli, Fidel Hydra, we had dinner the other night. Um, so he, we traded hash holes and rosin and good stuff. And he's got some, like, he didn't make this, his boys at Casa de Fuego. 
Yeah. They made this. Yeah. And this is his pheno. This is his flower. Yeah. Uh, it's a little two gram jar of the runs. So these were from his seeds. Uh, and I have not seen runs rosin. Wow. So it's, it's, it's fire, dude. I've been smoking on that. Um, so these are the only other two rosins that I'm smoking on right now. Uh, is, is, is my big white truffle jar. <laughs> That's a person fucking jar. Holy shit. Yeah. That's the good one. Um, what's the nose on the white truffles? The white truffle there. Yeah. Um, the nose, it's, it's, it's got a, uh, let's see. It's got such a, a bright, almost mint aroma and it's a sweetness to it. And it's, it, it's, and it, it, it translate to, to a creaminess on your palate. It's like a creamy, buttery, uh, palate on your, on your mouth. And it's a sweetness to it. Um, but the, this right here, dude, it punches, it, it gets you truffled. I like to say you get truffled. You forget what you had for lunch five minutes ago. You walk in and let it, what'd you have for lunch? You're like, what did I have for lunch? Damn, got truffled. I'll tell you that though. <laughs> so this has been my, my everyday go-to for, for, uh, since we washed it, this is 1122. So this is from 1122, this jar. So I've just for what, three months? <laughs> Almost going on three months. That's how good it is. <laughs> well, Judge, man, it was, it was honestly so great to have you on, man. I, I, I really enjoyed chopping it up with you. All the knowledge you shared. You know, we're definitely going to have to have you on again. Want to get an update, see what's coming out, what new fires coming out of LA Family Farms, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you guys, man. Thank you it's an honor to be asked to even uh, sit with you guys and talk shop and hash. So I really appreciate it. I love talking about this stuff. And it, when you hit me up and you were like, yo, you want to be, I was like, hey, bro, you were cool as hell. Absolutely. Yo, you're, you're, I your appreciate vibe the opportunity. Your energy, bro. Yeah. Your vibe and your energy are just next level. So yeah, thank you for joining us, but thank you for sharing the vibe and the energy and making me feel like there's, there's real, you know, hash, you know, legit people out there that, that are all about the hash and all about the vibe. Cause, um, you know, I still real ones said, out there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, you sharing that and, and basically, uh, yeah, being a, a stranger that was just an unknown friend. So yeah, now, now, be, now, yeah, that lifelong friend. So I appreciate it so much. Oh yeah, guys. I look forward to chatting it up and, you know, staying in touch with you guys. So keep up and keep that circle tight and just keep sharing the love, man. All the best. Yes, sir. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys. Brother. Thanks again, everyone for tuning in.